Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Welcome to the season finale of ET Startup School. Today's class is called Survived, Listed, Profitable, Now What? Your teacher for this class is Aditya Ghosh, the co-founder of Akasa Air and the former president of Indigo Airlines. Aditya started his career as a lawyer and then went on to become president of India's largest and most successful airline, Indigo. After 10 years as president and whole-time director, he moved on to become the CEO of Oyo Hotels. He's currently the co-founder of India's newest airline, Akasa Air. He's also an investor, startup mentor and fitness freak. Aditya Ghosh is here to tell you his journey of starting up, becoming profitable, staying profitable and then some. All right, Aditya Ghosh, welcome to ET Startup School. Thank you, Suresh. Now, I can't start an interview with an airline professional without Branson's most famous quote about how to become a millionaire. He said, start with a billion dollars and open an airline. My first question to Aditya, why would entrepreneurs even enter the airline business? Well, you know, Suresh, I, I've, I've heard that. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, I think, probably the most thrown quote at me, right? Whether, whether I'm kind of buying vegetables or I'm in a podcast, that's, I always get that question. Uh, well, I guess entrepreneurs enter the airline business for exactly the same reason that entrepreneurs enter other businesses. And which is that there is a fundamental need in the market and that is not adequately served. So that creates a de demand supply supply gap. And especially in the airline business and when we anchor it in an emerging market like, like India or a high growth market like India, what you see is that we are a country of nearly 1.4 billion people and there are less than a thousand commercial airplanes in our country. And this is despite all the 10x growth story that we have had over the last 17, 18 years. In contrast, the United States, which has less than one third of population, uh, has one airline like Southwest Airlines, and which is not even the largest airline in that country, which has nearly a thousand airplanes. So there is just a huge, you know, supply demand gap. And the second is, I think, which is which is probably more even more fundamental is that travel is something that is both a fundamental need for for customers, and secondly, it has a very symbiotic relationship with the growth of a country, the economic growth of a country, and that's why you know people like us, uh, and in my case, twice, um, you know, we've we've seen um, you know we see this as an opportunity. What makes the airline business so hard that Branson had to say this? Uh, it, it is, it is a, a business which has a thousand moving parts. Many of them which are completely outside the control or partially outside the control of the, of the, of the people running the, running the business. Second, a big part of the cost structure, which is fuel, you know, which is depending on which airline you're looking at, anywhere between 50% to 30% of the cost structure of an airline changes 
you know, pretty much on a month to month basis. Imagine like you're in the construction business and you're building homes and 50% of your raw material goes up and down every month, you know. And the third is that um, it is one of those businesses which relies a lot on volume because the margins are so thin. But when you get it right, you can actually, you know, make, uh, make a lot of money because there will be there'll be these one or two players who will do fundamentally better or fundamentally different from, from everybody else. Now, Aditya, explain this to me like I'm a 10-year-old. Yes. Can't you, can't you buy fuel for a year in advance and say, I'll pay you an average price of last year's peak and last year's trough, and I'm willing to pay you an average price for the next 12 months? Will nobody sell you fuel? Like uh, well, they will, but then they will take such a margin on it, right? And, and that's why it becomes so difficult to do fuel hedging. The other is, Suresh, and this is important, I think, from an entrepreneurship point of view. Just because you use a lot of it does not make you an expert. So just because we use millions of gallons of fuel makes no makes us you know no more of an expert in fuel than anybody else. But you know, but but a lot of airline CEOs kind of get this wrong, you know, and it's like saying that. I, I run a restaurant, but and just because I buy a lot of rice, I know how the how the you know uh, rice productivity in the country works. And I think it, it it means that you know one has to stay quite humble in terms of what we understand and what we don't understand about our, our business. Let me take a step back. You started off as a lawyer. You were the group general counsel for Interglobe, the yeah. owner of Indigo, yeah. and then you became CEO. So I have two questions for you: Do lawyers make good CEOs? And how did you become the CEO? Well, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, a lot of U.S. airlines actually have a lot of lawyers turned, you know, airline CEOs. CEOs. Okay. Um, and and like for example, Herb Keller, who started Southwest Airlines. Southwest. You know, we all have read read about Southwest mm-hmm. Airlines. Um, you know, uh, what was a lawyer? I'm by the way, by the way, he's a legend. I don't want to compare myself to Herb Keller. And he, he famously settled, a, I think, a, a name dispute with an arm wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, that's right. report, if I remember correctly, he said, why spend money on lawyers? Let's just sort it out. You and me. <laughs> and he won the arm wrestling Correct. match. But, but, but I think what the training as a lawyer does is that it, uh, it helps you focus on what is really fundamental. You know, what, what, what is it that's really driving the, the winning and losing of a case. So in a similar sense, in a, in a business as well, to go through mountains of information and to be able to focus on what's really important. I think that's helps. But at the same time, there are not many lawyers who actually make the transition. And a lot of it is to do with, uh, a lot of it is to do with not getting the opportunity. And I, I'm really, really fortunate that, that I got the opportunity. And uh, the answer to your question actually is in two parts, you know. Um, I was actually there at the proverbial cocktail napkin stage. And one of the first things that, that Rahul and Rakesh, when we were thinking of, of starting an airline, you know, I, I happened to be there in those discussions. And, and, and I remember Rahul saying, you know what, yeah, let's, let's go try to file a, for a, for a NOC for, for starting an airline. So that was really my first induction into the airline business to then, you know, working with Rakesh and, uh, on the 100 aircraft deal, which was this monumental, you know, world record creating first, first airline, um, order 
aircraft order. And so therefore, you know, I did get involved pretty early on. And then I was on the board and I, and I, and I was given charge to lead the entry into service of the airline. I used to be called the entry into service coordinator at that time. Much less fancy than CEO. Much less fancy than CEO. And and then, um, you know, a couple of years later, uh, a year and a half after we uh, we had started operations, 2008 economic crisis, fuel is touching $146 a barrel. So things are difficult. In that background, uh, Rahul and Rakesh gave me the opportunity and, and, and actually asked me to come and run the airline. I never dared ask them why, because what if they change their mind? <laughs> but I really worked hard at it. So that, that's, that's what it is. Okay. You spoke about the distress of 2008 and the banking collapse and the subprime crisis and the consequent rise in fuel prices. The Indian aviation market also was in a time of deep crisis. Two big airlines, Kingfisher and Jet, both closed down. How did this impact the Indian aviation ecosystem? There was a, there was a bunch of things that were happening and it, you know, it happened at a very short piece in, in time, like in a very short period of time, 2008 crisis happened, right? And um, secondly, um, you know, Ed Deccan was the very first one which faced a lot of stress and tension. Then it was Sahara. And then it was Kingfisher. And then it was Jet Airways. So um, this overall um, sort of economic circumstances definitely impacted the uh, these these businesses but a lot of it actually had to do with a basic 101 in the airline business which is that if your cost structure is not in control and if you're not ferociously conscious about your cost structure um, you're going to you're going to end up losing you know it's it's just and that that fundamental hasn't changed so while i think airline ceos blame a lot of external factors uh, you know, they blame the fuel and they blame economics and, and they blame the overall economy and global financial crisis, which of course has an impact. But I think uh, uh, really the, what we have to focus on is internal discipline um, and, and making sure that your house is in order. Because think of it this way, Suresh, I, I actually distinguish with, between what is a challenge and what is a risk. A challenge is like fuel price and the US dollar and the economy. But those impact everybody the same way. I think the really the what one needs to focus on is risks, which are internal. Is my cost structure the lowest? Am I, you know, is my productivity the highest? Is my aircraft utilization the highest? Is my on time the best? Is my employee to, you know, airplane ratio on track? Am I using the best type of engine so that I burn less fuel? Am I, you know, maintaining the airplanes in a way so that lease return costs go down? So it's just a lot of things, you know, it's a billion one dollar ideas that come together. And that's what makes the difference between success and Aditya, it's fascinating to hear you talk about cost discipline and cost consciousness because we had an ultra low cost carrier like Air Deccan. Mm -hmm. Uh, facing distress and we had a fairly posh carrier kingfisher which pretty much used to spoil its customers i was one of them <laughs> and both of them were in financial distress for roughly the same reasons how can that be ultra posh and ultra uh, say uh, no frills yeah yeah well 
Well, let, let me let me break up break up that that flow chart. The very first is that whatever is your cost. I know it sounds very basic, very fundamental, but that cost has to be lower than your revenue, right? To make to make money. Now, a full service carrier may be able to charge a higher revenue point than the low cost competitor or the low fare competitor, but if their cost structure is higher than even what the customer is willing to pay, right? There will be a problem. So, for example, you know, Suresh. Like you said, you were spoiled as a customer. Yeah, you did not say any. You did not say no to any of the freebies that you were offered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you were not willing to pay fifty percent a higher fare. Yeah, right. So that's the problem with the full service carrier. Now let's come to the low cost carrier. The low cost carrier, if the if the low cost carrier feels that my competition is the full service carrier, they will win because the low cost structure is lower. But really, the question to ask is: Are you competing against a full-service carrier, or are you competing against other very efficient low-cost carriers? Because that's when the game starts. That how efficient are you? You know, so it's not like you're the you're not you know now you're apples to apples, and you have to do a yeah. lower cost. Yeah, and I think that's one fundamental mistake a lot of low-cost carriers make. You know, they keep thinking I'm better than the full-service guy. But they're not. They're not. They're not comparing themselves to people who are in their business. And then the third thing is, how do you up the game? Do you really look at people who are in your marketplace with whom you compare and and compete with directly, or do you say who is the best in the world, and I'm going to compete against that? And I'm going to make sure that my cost structure is the very best. So if I'm thinking, I'm sitting in India, and I'm thinking, is my competition the other airlines here, or is my competition, let's say, yeah, you know, the best of the best? And then, you know, do I do I uh, do I compete against that? And and I think, you know, for example, in your own podcast, right, Suresh, you've had these fabulous, you know, new age entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I think one. Common thing is they are not competing against who's the next guy around the street in, in Mumbai. They are competing against the best in the world, and that is this new age of Indian entrepreneurship, where you are building for the world, and hopefully, you know, you're going to create these sort of world class, you know, world global leading brands. And I think that's 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 probably the answer to why. Some of the obvious things that we as customers notice about low cost airlines are. For instance, no business class, no frequent flyer program, no airline lounge, and we also hear things about buying one kind of aircraft, so maintenance is yes. sort of cheaper. Yeah. What are some of the other things that one does in a low cost carrier to keep costs low? Well, you know, um, the f- very first thing is if fifty percent of your cost structure is fuel, you first attack that. How do you attack that? You cannot attack it by attacking the fuel price because that's common to all. But you can definitely attack it. By seeing how much fuel are you going to burn, the very first thing that comes to mind is: Are you investing in the best or the latest technology engines which burn less fuel? Second is you're saying: Am I maintaining the airplane in a manner that you know I'm able to get the least amount of fuel burned out of those engines? Third, you're saying: Am I am I 
running the aircraft in a manner, I'm operating the aircraft in a manner where I, I burn less fuel. It's like, you know, you're going to, if you're, let's say, going to, from Delhi to Jaipur and you're zipping, right, at 120 kilometers, 130 kilometers an hour, you're going to burn more fuel as opposed to that zone where, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're maximizing the economic efficiency of that, of that vehicle. Same goes with airplanes. And when you add and add all of these elements, right, then you get a, a very different answer than from when you're not doing it. So this is fuel. Then you're looking at, you know, like you said, one type of aircraft means one type of pilot training, one type of flight ops training, one type of cabin crew training, one type of equipment, one type of toolkits, and so on and so forth. Then you're looking at, you know, one type of maintenance. So anything that simplifies the operations leads to economic efficiency. And I think that's that's really where the the game gets played. Some of these simplification measures, however, might have higher upfront costs. Yes. For instance, investing in the latest kinds of engines or airplanes uh, might be slightly more expensive, like buying a more fuel-efficient car instead of right. driving my 10-year-old right. car. Correct. How do you factor that in? Because you have a higher upfront cost, mm. but a lower running cost. Yeah, that, that's that's a big that's a big decision item that you know when you're starting an airline, you must take. And and I encourage this for with many other businesses as well that low cost does not mean low quality. Low cost means where do you choose to save costs, and where do you take that money that you saved and invest into anything that gives you more operational efficiency. And, and, and in our case, um, being well capitalized is very, very important. Being an underlying, being an under capitalized startup airline, uh, can be quite fatal. This is one sector that definitely cannot be bootstrapped then? Well, it can be bootstrapped in the way you run the business and what you are focused on. Like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, the size of the office and the type of, and the type of talent you're hiring and how many people you're hiring and so on and so forth. Like, for example, you know, you could have a full service airline saying, we're going to have eight flight attendants for 200 passengers. And you've got a low cost carrier saying, I'll have four or five. Now, it, it may not seem like a lot, but you multiply by that or the number of airplanes you're flying and the number of flights you're operating. It is just one more such example where I think that bootstrapping is in the attitude and the culture and the way you you run your business model, as opposed to uh, uh, you know the typical like you know how we understand bootstrap. But but I think if uh, starting an undercapitalized airline would be would be a would be a major problem. So in two thousand and five, a British teenager Martin Halstead actually launched his own airline with one plane. I think he flew from Oxford to Cambridge. I think it's one of the rare instances of. of a teenager or a, or a young entrepreneur created. He was very inspired by Branson's story. Yeah, you know. It didn't last very long. It was called Alpha One Airways, I think. But, but, you know, Suresh, I, 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 I do think that going into the future, right, as vertical takeoff type of vehicles become become common, as battery operated, electric operated, small air, uh, you know, aircraft become, uh, become more common, who knows, there might be you know, there, there might be a resurgence of these little smaller operations around the world. Aditya, in almost every interview of yours, you keep talking about this whole Airlines 101, this ultra simple method of lowering costs, being on time. 
these things seem pretty obvious. So at the time when uh, Indigo launched and you entered the market, why was it that you were able to spot these opportunities while the others maybe were either blinded or oblivious to them or just couldn't figure out this whole airline 101 mechanism? It sounds pretty simple when you explain it. Well, uh, well, when we started off and when I was inducted into the airline business, uh, um, you know, I had the good fortune of working with stalwarts like Rakesh Kangwal and uh, and uh, so I'll never take that away from from that. Um, uh, at the same time, today, for example, when when I mean I got involved in Akasa, you know, Vinay comes with years of experience. But but the question you're asking is something that has always perplexed me as well. You know, um, but I think but I think the because we've all read the Southwest story, we all have heard Ryan Herb story or Ryanair story. I think the challenge really is, and here is my most honest answer. You know, the human brain is wired as such. We're constantly looking at the next new thing. And it forces us to mistake um, inconsistency with innovation. You know? And, and therefore, the really the trick is, how can you be boringly consistent and allowing your, and teaching your brain to do the same thing over and over again? And then take innovation as a separate project which says, how do I do the same thing in a more efficient way? Not a next new thing, but how do I do the same thing in a way that it is more and more efficient? So you've got to do boring things well, and you've got to think of doing yes. new things. And sometimes yes. human beings yeah. can juggle yeah. these yeah. factors, what you say. You were the CEO of Indigo for about 10 years. Did this 10 years change you as a person? Oh, Did yeah. you become more ruthless, less ruthless, more kind, <laughs> less kind? Um, I became more and more grateful. I definitely became more and more grateful because... This is a business that teaches you how so many people have to come together to, to, to make something happen. So the second is that I think it taught me to, to, to be able to handle a multiple things all at the same time because it's just such a multidisciplinary uh, business. And the third is that uh, I got comfortable with imposter syndrome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's refreshing to hear from a CEO. We never hear CEOs admit to imposter syndrome. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think you know, initially I thought, you know, it's going to get better. But after even after 15 years, 18 years in the airline business, I think, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> this gives us all hope. This gives us all hope. It's not just us who feel it. Then. Yeah, I, I think that, that's, but, but yes, it does change. You know? I mean, it's a very... It's a it's it's a it's a it's a role which is constantly in the outlines. So you have to get so you know that people are watching you all the time. It's a role where literally tens of thousands of people are depending on on me. And it's also a role which, uh, like I said, exposes you to so many different people. You know, because in the airline business, the line, the operating team is, I don't know, maybe 95% of the workforce. So so you are really exposed to what's happening on the front line all the time. But which is also the most interesting part. I, I, I was speaking at a, somebody asked me this question earlier in the day today about do you miss being like in the, in the sort of a large operating role? And I said, I think I'm the happiest when I'm at an, at an airport or inside an aircraft. So therefore, uh, uh, it's also the most interesting and, and gratifying part of this. 
What was Indigo's path to profitability? If you could take us through a brief journey of yeah. how long it took to become profitable. Well, you know, it's uh, the first two years. In your case, your case, a runway is literally a runway. <laughs> yes. Unlike other startups who have financial runways. Well, it started off, uh, uh, you know, it was hard. It was very, very hard because, like I said, within the first literally one and a half years of operation, we were stuck in the biggest financial meltdown since the Great Depression. And then it was just, you know, kind of hunkering down and and going back and saying, what can we do to to focus on three things? And which is the same thing that we're doing at Akasa, by the way. Focus on making sure we have the best cost structure in the business. And really, like small, small ideas. Number two, how do we get everybody in the team aligned? How do I get everybody in the team aligned behind one goal? Right? Or two or three goals and not more than that. And the th- third is, how do we think of customer experience away from being free? Freeze. Because customer experience has very little to do with what, how much free stuff you're throwing at a customer. Absolutely. It is about Absolutely. experience. And, and experience comes from a smile. And experience comes from being warm and friendly. And experience comes from empathy. And I think it's that when you did, and when all these three things came together, what happened was our structure went down. More and more customers started flying you, so the market share went down, right? And the third was, since everybody was aligned behind a few goals, people understood why profitability was so important because it was not about shareholder dividends, which we, which we also did, but it was more about being able to plow it back. And remember, Suresh, this is at a time when everybody, including many colleagues in the media, were like, how can you survive? I mean, there is there are these big guys, you know, who have so much money and this and that. But back to Richard Branson, this is a this is a business where if you keep your if you lose sight of what is important, uh, a lot of people can lose a, lose a lot of money. Put another way, if you keep your eyes focused, even the small guy can has a has a fighting chance. So what you said you focus on two or three things. So what are the three things that are in your focus or your radar today? Oh, um, very first is, you know, really, really, you know, focus on cost structure. Right. Um, I'll never forget and I'll never, you know, move away from that. Second is how do you create a very employee-centric culture right? where everybody really feels that, you know, uh, they are responsible for the whole experience. And number three is, and, and that they have an important role to play in that. And number three is customer experience where over and above the efficiency, people feel good and warm and friendly and welcome in, in whatever they're doing. So, and I think that goes airline business, consumer tech business, coffee business, whatever it, it might be. Aditya, you said 50% of your costs you don't have direct control over, which is fuel costs. There's another important part that you don't really have control over, the cost of talent and the cost of advertising and promotion. Mm. You can't do those things on the cheap as well. Mm. How does a founder navigate those things? Because Indigo did advertise, you do hire the best talent in the market, both technical, crew and managerial. You have to hire the best talent and that talent is expensive. You can't you can't convince them to work on a budget because they have lives to lead as well. Sure. How do you navigate that? 
okay, you cannot sponsor the IPL. I get that. You cannot blow a lot of money on IPL sponsorship. Yeah. But short of that, advertising is expensive. People are expensive. Well, two things, I think. One is that um, when we're talking about, uh, you know, costs which are outside your control, it's actually not just fuel, but the, even the given the fact that a lot of the costs are dollar denominated, uh, mm -hmm. exchange, yeah, rate, exchange rate moves around a, a lot, right? Airport charges move around a lot. On talent, um, something I learned very uh, early on is, and especially in the airline business where there is so much shortage of talent, you know, we need more number of pilots than, than, we, than, than, there, are, uh, than there are available. So how do you really focus on growing that talent? And by the way, uh, that that goes in a lot of different businesses. Let's say you're in the eyewear business, optometrists are, are in short supply. You know, they might be, you, you might be in the automotive business and there are certain kinds of, of people who are researching on electric vehicles who are in short supply. So you have to create an ecosystem where you start growing your own timber and you take a very long-term view and, and say, I'm going to solve for this myself by investing a lot in learning and development. Right? So that that's becomes a very important area to invest in and, and really see it as an asset creating or competitive advantage creating on this ecosystem. And the second is on advertising. You know, for a long time, uh, my marketing costs were one tenth of what was the marketing cost of some of my competitors. I know why this is because your cashew nut tin was called nutcase. <laughs> that was the most shared thing from Indigo. I remember you know, nutcase. You know, you know the thing is, uh, I think lo the the biggest loyalty program comes from consistency, trust, and reliability. So if at Akasa I can focus on trust and reliability, and people kind of say they're they're going to, you know, people got to tell somebody else that that you know you should go and fly this. I think that's the biggest loyalty program. And, and if people focus on that customer experience and customer experience in the widest sense of the term, I think it ultimately brings your, your marketing cost down. And the other very important element is, and I say this a lot when, when, when young, young founders ask me about brand building is, if the external and the internal values are aligned, then it requires less marketing costs because people are every day doing what they profess to do. But a lot of companies kind of get that wrong. You know, there is one part of your brain which looks at internal values and things like that. And there's another part of the brain which looks at external branding and marketing. But when you bring that together, overall marketing costs come. And actually talent acquisition cost comes down too. And customer acquisition cost, which is a huge cash burn, I imagine. Aditya, an airline like Indigo or Akasa is a private business, yes. but it's also akin to a public good. You are public transportation Absolutely. in the broadest sense of Absolutely. the term. How do you deal with this duality of being a private company and yet a public good? I imagine Google Maps, which was, I think, officially declared a public good, yeah. even though it's privately owned by Google, uh, is no longer can no longer be controlled by one company. Yes. How do you deal with this duality of creating uh, quasi-public goods? You know, Suresh, I'm glad you raised that. I mean... You know, actually, I've, I've seen this over and over again, that when you tell yourself that there is a larger purpose to what you're doing, if suddenly it galvanizes people, it builds culture, and it helps us align that sense of public good with 
with private participation. I'll give you an example. And, and in the airline business, I always tell myself, and this is what drives me, and you can feel again, other than the people, the other thing that makes is I'm so passionate about is we're actually democratizing travel, right? We are we we are enabling millions of people reach their opportunities at a lower cost than they could ever do before. And that is something if I truly believe. And I talk to my colleagues and we talk to our colleagues all the time. It, it really brings that larger sense of purpose together. Right. And, and, and I think, uh, uh, you know, human beings are capable of doing incredible things. Uh, look at our, look at our government's space program in India. Right. I mean, these people get paid a government salary. But look at the incredible stuff that they're doing. It is actually the same as long as there is a sense of a larger purpose to, to what you're doing. So the obvious question would be, how do you instill this grandiose larger purpose when you're running talking, a nuts and bolts? Yeah, we're talking about it again and again and again. And by sticking to that focus. As you probably know, I sit on the board of Fab India uh, and uh, for the past three years, I used, to, I used to run a part of the business. Another, again, great company, right? It's so purpose-driven. Just that that bit just never goes out of sight. It does not go into the peripheral vision. It's center. And if it's front and center, you will talk about it every day. That's a big filter to your decisions that you make. And then you celebrate that. And when that happens, people know, oh, okay, that's how I get noticed. That's what's going to be appreciated. That's how I get a promotion. So then it becomes really second nature to us and it's kind of, you know, uh, becomes a deep-rooted element of, of our culture. Aditya, I have multiple founders who tell me off the record that while I may be purpose-driven and I may be driven on a larger goal, I've got these VCs who are riding me hard yeah. to blitzscale, yeah. to advertise, to actually burn more money than I should be burning and to make less money than I could be mm -hmm. making because they're interested in valuations mm -hmm. or land grab. Mm -hmm. How does an entrepreneur deal with this? I might be personally motivated by really noble thoughts, yeah. but I've raised money and now I'm riding a tiger. What do I do? Well, uh, firstly, I think, yes, it is an absolutely real challenge. It is a real challenge. One cannot ignore that. Uh, and Wall Street is to blame for it, you know, to a great extent, because, because you know, if you are going to measure everything from quarter to quarter, year to year, the only thing that happened in one year is that the, Earth went around the sun, right? You know what I mean, right? But having said that, uh, there is enough data now, and there are enough, like, sort of, um, enough uh, uh, more erudite investors who see that purpose-driven companies actually con continuously and consistently outstrip the market indices, right? And and therefore, you can see that some of the more mature investors are beginning to look at purpose-driven companies. And that's not just because it's a good thing to do. It's not about being a, doing good. It's about creating a long-term sustainable business. If you're going to squeeze down every cost today at the cost of a long-term sustainable future, your employees are not going to be with you. Your vendors are not going to be with you. Your supply chain partners are not going to be with you. And you're going to kill your raw material. This business is going to disappear. But if, but I think there are, there are enough investors, businesses. I mean, I invest a little bit, whatever I can. And I'm in 14 companies and all of them are purpose driven. 
whether I mean, or or definitely the center to it, whether it is an organic foods business, whether it's a diagnostics business, whether it's a fintech business. And I think that I'm not I'm not unique in this. There are many many investors who who look who are now looking at life for being able to create long term sustainable businesses. Aditya, after you left Indigo, you joined Oyo. Yes. Uh, Indian startups are both the subject of much envy and a little bit of ridicule for the kind of money they burn. Yes. And sometimes for obscure business models, we don't know how they're making money. Yeah. They seem to make a thousand crores on their top line and 10 crores as profits. Yeah. Uh, your general thoughts on this, mm-hmm. uh, on this hyperscaling or blitzscaling, I hate that word, but yeah, we use that word, blitzscaling, hyperscaling, land grab, growth at all costs mentality, the mentality that seems to have gripped Indian startups. Well, um, the firstly, I think any business right, um, has to keep financial sustainability as a very key element of, of how they're building a business. Now, that does not mean you can be profitable every year. For example, the airline business may take several years to become profitable. But you're moving in that direction. You know, it is something which is very fundamental to your decision. But yes, you're right. A lot of people, uh, investors and founders, uh, run after vanity metrics and and then they lose track of some of these things. And uh, OEO is a classic example where we focused on profitability and now, as you probably know, even at that base, it is a profitable business. Now, it, it, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes, it won't happen overnight. But there is no turning away from the facts, Rish, that we have to move from mere vanity metrics to things which are fundamental to a business. I think there are six elements which are fundamental to a business. You have to build your business around the need of a customer. So it has to be customer oriented. You have to have employees who really believe in it and are with you. You have colleagues who are with you. So it has to be employee centric. You have to focus on financial sustainability so that you can create a long-term business. You have to have agility because you are, you have your, your, you know, playing field, playing field changes. You have to be able to uh, run a purpose driven business because so that your, your objective doesn't, doesn't go away. And when you bring all of these things together, I think these are all of these elements are extremely important in building a great business. And if one of them is also missing, you may have temporary success, but it won't be a long-term institution. Okay, it's like an aeroplane. All parts have to work perfectly together for you to have a safe flight. And there might be turbulence even after that, yes, I imagine. Yes, but 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 you have a fighting chance of being able to fly through that turbulence. Yes. Correct. I'm going to end this interview, uh, Aditya, with a few personal questions. Yes. I've heard interviews of you and the CEO of Akasa Vinay Dubey, and you have a strong bromance element going, yes. buying each other ice cream and muffins and whatnot. <laughs> How important is this kind of chemistry between two founders? Well, Vinay and I are yin and yang, okay? Like, he doesn't like chocolates. Who doesn't like chocolates, right? But, <laughs> bad people. Bad people. <laughs> uh, look, uh, I think the chemistry is extremely important. Uh, in, even in the startup world, right? Uh, that chemistry between co-founders is is extremely important because it's going to be a very, very hard journey. And if you're not going to be able to remain respectful to each other, even when you have severe disagreements, there'll be a problem. 
that romance is is important uh, and i'm i'm really fortunate to be able to uh, work with uh, vinaya on, on on this yeah the other thing one notices about you you were a pretty fit guy even earlier and now your fitness has gone up several notches what what's your fitness plan these days uh consistency i think the same as in business you know wake up in the morning and and like you know go at it right and more than anything else just just to show up right and and by the way you know suresh i take this very seriously because you know um about 15 years ago uh, maybe 14 years ago i used to weigh 26 kilos heavier than i weighed right? i lost 18 kilos of it within a matter of few months but it's just been one of those things just like running a business that you you remain consistent you compete against yourself you don't look at others it is not a vanity metric but you just keep trying to kind of push yourself a, a, a little, little bit harder is hard <laughs> I I know you can get fit and you can have personal vanity and look good in a mirror that's fine just don't chase the vanity uh, metrics that's I, what I, never happened with me Suresh but, but you know one is ever hopeful soon there'll be a biopic made on your life oh, yeah. don't worry it's now business people are next if they're not already on the radar of biopic makers okay aditya ghosh thank you very much for being thank part of so this discussion thank you so much Suresh it's been it's it's always so great to talk to you you are just so authentic And I'm so glad you're doing this for the larger ecosystem. So. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thanks. So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika Dzuza. Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play as well as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Jio Seven and Google Podcasts. 